will not just you know go out of tastes and preferences but we will actually have criteria to measure our design upon so yeah. the idea of the ux yeah. process is that it leads to less risky results Hello everyone, how are you guys doing? Welcome on the third episode of our Anfisa and Joanna um, podcast. In today's episode, we are going to talk about design processes. And um, this is a very, very big topic. So I guess we'll just try to cover some things about our experiences, some processes we've been able to practice in our careers, and also maybe just brainstorm a little bit on how uh, we think personally those different processes can be applied in different companies depending on where you're working at. Um, so with this being said, before we dive into the topic, Joanna, do you want to say how was your last week? How is your life? How are you doing? <laughs> Hello, everybody. Thank you for the introduction, Alfisa. <laughs> I think we're getting the hang of this. Yay. I mean, uh, episode by episode, we're, we're getting better at uh, introducing people into our small informal conversation mm -hmm. space. My last week was quite um, hectic, mm -hmm. <laughs> like all my weeks are, mm -hmm. but now I'm trying to slow down a little, maybe take a break from doing too many things all the time, because it, it feels, uh, it's rewarding, but it's also exhausting. So right now I've closed some projects actually last week, which was very fulfilling. I had this sense of achievement and accomplishment. Okay, I, I took this project to its final. Yeah. So now I'm um, evaluating uh, how things went, looking mm -hmm. at lessons learned and so on. And so I'm a little bit um, introspective this mm -hmm. week. <laughs> On my side, last week I was a little bit sick, so it's not super exciting. Last week I had this epopea or this drama with my past freelance client. Um, I removed myself from the drama, but this week it's actually coming back. So we will see how it goes besides the work. And of oh, course, wow. there is some dramas, but I hope we will resolve it soon. Yeah. Talking about the whole freelancing experience, it could totally be not just one episode. It could be the whole topic of the next podcast, you know, <laughs> freelancing is, 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 is the thing. Um, in my experience, it was just that we had, I had a client and I was, um, as a UX designer, um, I was trying to plug in like people for the project. I, I found like a developer and then I found like illustrator for a project and the client was working fine. Everything was great. She was paying in time. She was not creating problems, but then at some point, um, there was some miscommunication with the process and, uh, illustrator did in my perspective, they were really good. The communication was great, but something went wrong between the lines and the client said, like, I'm not going to pay for this. So there was a conflict and I said, like, okay, if I, I don't agree with these values. I don't want to work in this environment when the time is not appreciated. So I don't want to continue working on this project. So after I shared that there was a lot of drama, maybe a little bit of manipulation and stuff like that. Um, so it was hard a little bit to find a resolution to this. And I really, really don't like those stressful moments when everything was fine, but then out of blue, you know, um, you appear to not share the same values. So it's just a little bit hard and distracting you from working actually. But we're still looking for a resolution. So let's see how it goes. 
<laughs> I think it's, it's totally uh, a fascinating subject for a different, mm -hmm. for a dedicated episode for this, because I think that there are so many ways in which uh, partnerships can go bad or things mm -hmm. that you can't foresee, or maybe, for example, in your case, maybe values should be agreed early on, but how do you actually do that? Mm -hmm. So it sounds very ideal, but can you do that? And I think that... Um, yeah, it, it drains you emotionally. It's it's consuming. And I think that many designers out there deal with it. And maybe we don't have the weapons or instruments or enough knowledge to know how to deal with it better. So let's make an episode about this. Yes, yes <laughs> I think it's worth it. Yeah, we will see. But there are a lot of episodes we want to do also on the mental health, right? Right. <laughs> and we don't have so much time left, right? <laughs> let's see if the baby will be supportive of our podcast. All right. we will Oh, yeah. And give us the space to record. <laughs> I have a hope in this baby. <laughs> <We'll see. laughs> All right. Um, I think we can just dive into the topic of this episode before we started moving in different directions. Um, so processes, design processes, big topic. Uh, where do we start? So let's maybe I was thinking we can start from saying what processes do we know and how what, what do you think did you you know, practiced what things maybe changed? Did you experiment, experimented, experienced, uh, maybe even customly created those processes? How are the things been in your experience with different, you know, years of experiences and companies you were working in? Um, just a little introduction, I guess, real overview. Well, I'm going to start by saying that for a very long time, I tried to find the, to find the the perfect process if you want the absolute process that will mm -hmm. work in any circumstance that i can also promote it inside my company and then promote to the people that are on ux goodies and are asking me about process and make sure that this is the uh, one size fits all mm -hmm. ideal steps mm -hmm. that a project should put but then reality yes, <laughs> hit okay. me every single time and uh there is no fixed or uh perfect mm -hmm. process that will solve any problem regardless of where you apply it of the context you're in so the context and the circumstances around you the team the product the company everything has an impact on how the process will unfold itself so then i gave up trying to find out this universal or the universally applicable right mm -hmm. answer um, mm -hmm. regarding the process and then i became more flexible over time and realized that a process is actually it's useful to be referenced. It's useful to understand that you pretty much need to go through some, some stages mm -hmm. in any design project, but at the same time, these stages are not fixed by any means. So they will be a back and forth most of the times. It's going to get messy. Mm -hmm. It's not linear. It's, yeah. it's always going in circles. So oh, yeah. then I just, I, 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 I gave up trying to define and identify and uh, mm -hmm. put on the wall this perfect process. And, and I opened it up to being uh, flexible, adjusting along the way, mm -hmm. making sure that the stages I, I go through or I propose that we go through mm -hmm. make sense in the context of that particular project. Mm -hmm. So where I'm getting at uh, essentially is probably um, at flexibility around process. Mm -hmm. So the, the design process is very nice to uh, mm -hmm. have a, 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 big, a big idea in mind. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, in reality, you're going to have to be adaptable, flexible, and adjust mm -hmm. 
the problems to the content. So that's pretty much the introduction that okay. I feel like giving on this topic. <laughs> okay. And so would you say that every time you start a new big project, small project, average project, you kind of create a new process? Like you, based on the timeline, resources we have, here is the suggested uh, kind of plan for us to go through, right? Is it always custom yeah. or do you at least have some structure in mind usually? It's a great question. I love it because uh, it actually gets to the point of our problem. So yeah. um, it's it's actually um, custom every time, yeah, in a way. But at the same time, there are some unmissable parts, if you want, some parts that we can't do without. So, for example, we can't skip research. I, I don't think mm-hmm. you can do UX design without having the research phase, so the discovery part of the mm-hmm. project. Then, of course... After we find a solution, there's no way of launching it without testing it Mm -hmm. before that, doing usability testing and so on. Some parts of the UX process, they're always there regardless of the project, or at least we start uh, with Mm -hmm. the idea in mind. And if if you're very uh, keen on Mm -hmm. not giving up, sometimes clients or Mm -hmm. even your uh, coworkers might push you into, okay, let's keep usability testing because we don't have the time. We're going to launch it and see afterwards. But I think that we have to to push for keeping the important uh, stages in in the process. Yeah. But yeah, so when I start a project, I pretty much think of a high level outline for the process that I for the process that I want to apply to that particular problem. And in the beginning, in the early days of my career, I actually wasn't able to customize anything because I had no experience. I had no idea what I was doing. So I just applied something that I read on the internet. Or I knew that uh, it was probably the right thing to do and went through all the stages. And then in time, you realize that some stages may not make sense or that you can add other stages that are relevant in that context. So I was I became able to customize the proposals for the process uh, in time with experience from one project to another. So this is another important point. Yes, you have mentioned that you would. Okay, so there are definitely stages that you can't kind of take away and throw away but there are other stages you might sometimes skip so I wonder if you can elaborate a little bit on the stages so what are the stages you would think of every time you want to approach a new project process solving problem like if there are those what are the building blocks in your experience right now so in I think the building blocks are the first let's call it discovery phase this is what I'm call it most often in conversation so the discovery phase you can't find a solution without understanding the problem it's it's pretty much common sense but at the same time we all know that in real life people tend to come up with solutions and then they search for a problem that mm-hmm. that solution is solving so it can it can know it can happen that some people just have ideas that are uh, solutions and they skip the discovery phase yeah. but in a healthy ux process in a healthy setup you will start by understanding and deconstructing the problem. So this is the discovery phase. It's a phase of understanding. It's a phase where you dive deep into the problem. You need it for the UX because you want to know what, what, what's the point of all your efforts. What is, what is the problem you're solving? And this involves also doing a lot of research, maybe involving your users, uh, getting, not maybe, hopefully, uh, involving users, getting to understand them. Uh, but for example, it may be that some projects don't need a persona. Let's say this is a small example. And mm-hmm. maybe most of the projects do, but maybe in one case, I don't know, persona is not that relevant for yeah. uh, what 
problem you're setting out to solve. Yeah. But so you, you can't go on without doing research, but you can uh, skip on some artifacts or activities mm -hmm. that you uh, normally see in the classic design process if you want. So research is essential and uh, for being part of a discovery phase. Also, before um, choosing a solution, you're going to need to ideate a little. So you can't find solutions without the ideation phase. Mm -hmm. Ideation is also a fundamental part. Mm -hmm. um, then, of course, once you decide on a solution, your iterate on that solution, explore different possibilities or multiple solutions, choose the best one, and so on. Testing is also very important. And I think that then implementation um, mm. is also, yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> implicit. <laughs> yeah, I don't see any fundamental stage actually skippable. What, mm -hmm. what I think is skippable or is adjustable are maybe the activities that are involved. Yeah, so that sounds like we really don't want to skip any stage, but we might want to adjust the timing and the exercises we go through in every of those stages, right? We might yeah. um, kind of make this one longer, but this one really short and quick, and maybe even just use one workshop for this stage instead of us yeah. doing like two weeks of exercises, right? Cool. Yeah, so in my experience, basically, I would usually go, like my mindset, and actually I was introduced to it in my university and I still like really love this mindset and want to practice it every time at least I'm not it's not like practicing it but I would say like I always have this structure in my mind whatever I'm doing and yeah this is like the classic the most cliche the most top, always used double diamond I, I think that most of the designers know what is this but if somebody doesn't know it's like imagine two diamonds <laughs> two diamond rings <laughs> where you have like <laughs> For these, one is discover, then is defined, then it is uh, de develop, and then it is deliver, I think. The beauty of it is that you have those diamonds where you first always have like this first diamond, it's like expanding. In the beginning, it's like expanding, diverging. And then at some point you have to stop because you cannot learn everything and you have to converge all your insights. And this is like the second part where you define what you have learned. And then there is this middle point, which I usually call the design brief with a strategy or requirements for the design. And then there is this, again, develop, where you go through different sets of like ideas, ideations, concepts, testing. And then there is this deliver when you just, you know, talk to the developer, hand off, support, give answers, reiterate, and so on. And usually I would say like testing happens either in the delivery stage or in the develop stage, depending on how much, you know, how much overlap we have with the engineering timeline. Um, and so even though, okay, this is, yes, it's also like a framework. So it's not that, you know, every time you um, start a new project, you stick to it 100%. It's not that you would have sort of like outline of the double diamond every time you do a new project. But I would totally always keep it in mind because I feel like it's also essential to, as you said, like it's really essential to do every step of it without you know, having research, you're, you're risking to build your project based on the like very assumptional, very weak fundamental. You, you, you might go directly into the conceptualizing stage, but then it means that you're designing it, you know, you're sticking something to the wall and see if that sticks. So there is a chance it sticks, but there is much more chances that 
you throw it and it's not, you know, flying. So <laughs> you might want to del del eliminate those risks. So I think that like, it's really essential for any project to start with the research and still define. I think like for me, it's also important in the define stage, even though it's hard in the beginning, it's always, especially when you're a beginner and you try to define everything you've learned, it's this hardest I guess for me personally, it's been like this always. And I can see on my students right now that the second stage, the define is one of those highest like picks to climb because it's always overwhelming. Oh my God, so much information. How do I use this information? How do I make sure I like take the, what is the insights? What are the hypotheses? What are, what are those things, right? You, you just don't always know what to do with the information. And sometimes as the beginner, you just can be overwhelmed and even start procrastinating or even want to skip it and directly start with conceptualizing. So you might even miss out on this insight that you've collected. So um, I think I, I was trying to say that, you guys, there is the second stage. On my personal experience, it's the hardest one, always. Th then I would say something sort of design brief where I would just try to specify what actually I'm trying to build. What is this first strategic step we need to do? What, is the, what are the criteria for the concept? How would I measure the success of this concept? So knowing who is the users, how they will use it, what's the market sweet spot, knowing all those different things, how will I make sure that if tomorrow I start conceptualizing something, we know how to evaluate this design. We will not just you know, go out of tastes and preferences, but we will actually have criteria to measure our design upon. And in a rational way, try to evaluate this design. Um, and obviously, yes, so <laughs> I was talking a lot, but I was trying to say that we have discovery, it's important, that's a fundamental. We have defined where it's hard, but it's super critical because without it, you cannot have strategic brief ready. And then of course there's conceptualizing, which is usually the funniest part, the, the most engaging part is always about creativity, it's about engagement with maybe other designers. And you, during this stage, it's like this part where most of us designers are you know, usually jumping into because it's fun and exciting and you want to be creative and you want to look for references and try different ideas. So this is this fun part, but then you still have to stop at some point and evaluate your designs, either test the concept, is it solving the problem? Or actually, if you're working with the existing product, maybe you need to do the usability testing. So see if, you know, proposed flow, proposed solution kind of uh, meets the mental models of your users. I was talking a lot, but I think what we could try to do right now is to also try to understand how do you think those, um, this mindset or this process could be different in different organizations and different companies, startups, freelancing and stuff like this. So what, what, what's your input on this, I wonder? I think that indeed one element that's a differentiator between smaller projects and big projects is speed. Mm -hmm. So for me, in freelancing projects, I was able to, uh, because I could control the pace of the process and I control the timeline, the stages, the, so I, you have more control. Actually, you're more independent. So things tend to move quickly and you get the results faster. Uh, you can fail faster if that's the mm -hmm. case and um, pivot or uh, find a better solution and so on. In the big corporate world, things are, as uh, um, you can all imagine, a bit slower because you have to involve, just like you said, everybody has to be at the table and you have to align with different teams, the developer team, the development team mm -hmm. or the product managers or other people from business lines inside the company or product marketing, I don't know, mm -hmm. 
and so it's it's pretty much a continuous effort of aligning everyone which is very useful in building big products in scaling products and when when you have a big challenge or uh, uh, one that cannot be solved by one person by himself mm -hmm. but it's also a bit uh, it adds time to the process and it adds complexity and it adds another layer of things that you need to manage so the communication with everyone around you i think this is a, this is the major difference so in a way mm -hmm. um what it all comes down to is that there's different um the the different flavors uh, come from managing different elements inside a project relationships more uh, in in the corporate world mm -hmm. than uh, in the freelancing project mm -hmm. but of course in a freelancing project a freelancing project you have to manage your clients so you yeah. also yeah. you also have a close relationship at least with the client and then with the developers as well mm -hmm. uh, from my experience in big companies i was able to accomplish um things that in the end felt more rewarding in a way because you have to put so many pieces together mm -hmm. uh, you have to align all these people mm -hmm. it takes a lot of time it's it's also a lot of um, negotiation going on a lot of uh, convincing everybody that this solution will work that these are the findings that we have from research so you advocate your solution yeah. basically so in the end it feels it feels very rewarding because you have the feeling that you overcame a lot of elements uh, of tensions of I don't know back and forth and so on and other forces that you <laughs> manage to um, yeah. um, control or align in a way mm -hmm. uh, at the same time uh, the process in freelancing projects since it's only it's it's mostly dependent on you so you have better control um, it's great that you feel like it's it's kind of like your work, your baby, your mm -hmm. so. Um, I had the same feeling uh, or a similar feeling of accomplishment mm -hmm. in freelancing projects as well. So yeah, I'm 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 curious to hear uh, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah. How how does it? Uh, yeah. How is it different or how is it uh, specific? Mm-hmm. freelance project. Before I dive into it, I just wanted to also like maybe make a note on what you were saying that with the bigger companies, you definitely need to spend more time communicating. And I also want to point out that maybe for those people who don't have so much experience working with different companies, it's it's just to make sure that they don't think it's a bad thing, right? That you have to communicate with different people. It's something that is unavoidable the bigger the company is because the bigger the company is, the more is the client base probably or the more is it is at stake. So you really need to make sure you evaluate every single part, the vision, the constraint, the, you know, maybe though some of the people already tried different things. Some of the people have already information. Some of the people um, understand what it, what it means making this change. Even if it's like, you know, moving button from one side to another, it sounds like, you know, come on, it's a button, just move it to the left, right? It sounds like an easy thing, but sometimes you just don't understand how much this button can, you know, imply. It's a habit. It's a, it's a mental model for somebody. It's something that they do, you know, blindly on a daily day basis. And it also involves a lot of rules and behaviors and and how to say correlations between different things so it sounds like a small thing but you really even if it's a small thing in a big company it is it could be really impactful and so 
it's not to say that if we have to talk to different people to you know move bottom to the left it's just because you know bigger companies more bureaucratic and horrible but it's really it's a bigger risk so that's why it takes longer and uh, you need to really check with everyone in order to make this decision um, and I agree with you that for sure with the smaller companies smaller startups it is much faster much more dynamic of course smaller company is the the less stable it is <laughs> you're still looking for that business model investment etc validating your ideas so yeah it's, it's maybe funner to work in it because you're your own sort of boss and you you know rule the project you don't have to check with everyone um it's like everything in your head and you control the scope and etc but it's like it's also the fact that you will spend a lot of time understanding every single thing yourself and then um, most likely i mean you can definitely work with the prosperous growing startups but in the beginning if it's just a new startup where um, for a lot of work for amount of work you're doing is just not so rewarding as it could be in other companies or bigger companies so there is always uh, pros and cons working in different companies and this is something we can also discuss at some point but for the processes processes design process in itself um i would say that it's i personally love to experiment with different ways of working and like designing and even though those are like just you know all those frameworks and buzzwords design thinking design sprints workshops design double diamonds etc it's yeah it's just frameworks we don't have to be you know super <laughs> oriented on them but i still at the same time i really just love to try things out and see if i can adopt something from there so learn something try something new and see if that's actually working great so my new last thing which i'm really excited about is like try to go or go more with the workshops um before it was like design sprints yeah let's try design sprints let's you know, let's put five people in the room together for five days and see what's, what, what works out over there. But now it's like, oh, let's design custom workshops. Okay, this is a new challenge. Let's try to put different people in the same room with different knowledge and try to understand what do we know and put everybody on the same page. So for me right now, lately it's been all about like design workshops custom ones and i still like to think about design workshops in this double diamond mindset so every time you even design a new workshop it's like let's first diverge then let's converge let's try to make a decision and then let's first i don't know diverge ideas and then converge on our solution um so it's still the same mindset i really like to follow the mindset and um, coming back again to the question itself, I like to go astray, but um, coming back to the question, I think that I, I agree with you that timing and people is a huge factor that could define processes sometimes. And um, also, I think that resources in terms of budget could really define your process. Some of the clients, they and also like even understanding, putting the client on the same page, what kind of expectation this client could have. Sometimes it could even take another step, which is education for the client. They could come up with you and be sure that they have a perfect idea, but they've never done any research. And it would tell you, hey, please, you know, just make it pretty. And you would have to take a step back and try to take them through the Let's first understand what do we know, the stakeholder workshop, and try to collect the knowledge and try to see if we have gaps and if we need to do the research. And if the client are not able to answer some basic question, who, why, and what, then let's try to do a step back again. And that would define another stage in our process. We definitely need to do the research and discovery. So it's like, it depends on 
what's, what the client has done already so far, at which stage is the project, how much time and budget do we have? And based on this, okay, how much we can do for this time and money. <laughs> so we can do a huge project. We can do half a year project. We can learn everything about this field. We can do a perfect, you know, case, but sometimes you only have like a, you know, one month to do it all and you will need to go out of that and you will not be able to do all those in-depth usability testings or research stages. You would just need to do something super basic, a couple of interviews, a couple of assumptions to be tested, a couple of ideas to be tested and we go, right? So the bigger the timeline, the more the opportunities are for us, the, the lesser the risks for the project. But of course, the more time it takes and also, you know, budget would be higher for the client at the end. I think you, you touched on a very important part about the uh, point about around processes is that often processes have to be thought of and executed under constraints. Mm -hmm. So constraints is an important part of the um, UX profession in general, of the UX role. So we, of course, there's never unlimited budget, unlimited time. Uh, research has to stop at a moment. Uh, so you can't always discover and uh, you, you'll never be 100% sure of anything. Uh, but you operate with constraints and you have to manage under those constraints, which, of course, if the constraints are absurd, so for example, the client says, I want this ready in one week, then you have to uh, oppose that and, and define with what, what's the line by which I'm not going to continue. I mean, I think that we have, we also have to, it's, it's our duty to negotiate with clients and help them understand, just like in your example uh, and the point you made earlier that it ha it just so happens that the client comes with this uh, predefined solution, he knows it, he doesn't want to spend any more time into validating it, and then you have to make sure that you have to start by what what's the actual problem that this solution is solving, and many times it's funny that the clients cannot, can, cannot answer that question, so yeah. it's not clear to them what the problem they're solving, so then you have just like you said to take a step back and go back a few stages and mm -hmm. a few uh, milestones if you want and start from the beginning maybe the discovery yeah. phase and so on and it may it might feel uncomfortable in the relationship with your client it might feel like um, I don't know you don't have uh, the energy or or it's it's weird it's a weird conversation hey you know mm -hmm. I don't want to do things like you want, I want to do them in the proper way. Mm -hmm. But then if you show, if you show them exactly uh, the fact that like you were uh, pointing to towards you, you, you reduce the risk when you do mm -hmm. the process, right? So yeah. the idea of the UX yeah. process is that it, it leads to less risky results. Yeah. And I think that yeah. there's no client in the world who wants to take risks and risk losing money and that yeah. everything is done goes to the trash. And um, yeah, I think that another interesting small point that I've noticed in my personal experiences so far is that sometimes when you show clients the process and you, mm -hmm. you show them all the activities that you'll be going through, they, they kind of get excited at least some of them mm. they're also excited and oh so we're gonna do yeah. a customer journey map ah that's cool and <laughs> so they feel like they're doing proper ux and so mm -hmm. you get they get bought in even by uh mm -hmm. by being uh introduced educated like you yeah. said so by being uh being shown what's gonna happen and having predictability and having themselves immersed in the process then it can even be fun for them and they will not be as reluctant as mm -hmm. they would if you would say okay you know what let me handle this and mm -hmm. we talk in one month and 
if, if you involve them along the yeah. way, then it's, it's going to become easier for you to negotiate. Yeah, I like this. And I also think that, um, so first of all, I agree with you. And I also think that it's your duty and responsibility to educate the client and also understanding that businesses, they really hate to lose it all or money and time. And, you know, sometimes it's very important for startups, especially to be in time. So it's, it's your duty and role to communicate that measures pace twice. And if today we go with your, un, how to say, validated concept uh, and, you know, spend all this time developing it and putting it in market to see it fails tomorrow, this is your risk. You just here to communicate that it's, it's the risk that you're taking. I'm okay. We can do this, but I told you, <laughs> right? And so my tip here actually, which um, I wouldn't say it's a life hack, but it really helped me a lot in the beginning is to try to involve the client in the beginning into this um, stakeholder, as I call it, workshop. And it's not to just, you know, engage them and explain them, you know, how things are working for us designers. It's really not about that. It's also about asking those challenging questions and see if they actually don't have answers. And when they realize they don't have those answers, it's some sort of this aha moment that, all right, it's true. We never thought about it. Oh, maybe in, in this way, asking challenging questions and being prepared to ask those questions, you're actualizing the need for them to actually you know spend this time uh going a little bit backwards but figure out first who who is the user why does you know he needs this thing what's the problem there what's the mental model what are the habits you know what kind of market are we trying to occupy um so it's my personal like life hack or or tip or whatever is to not just engage the client, not just educate the client, but also, you know, ask those challenging questions to provoke those aha moments when the client really realizes that, wow, we actually really need to do those extra steps. And um, that would be really important for the project, right? Um, yeah. And it can be a workshop and it can also be, so uh, the way I go about mm -hmm. it, it, that by being usually in, in big companies or even in freelancing, uh, freelancing with uh, clients that have a big organizational structure and many roles, what I do, I set up interviews one-on-one -on -one with the stakeholders involved. So you can even put them all at the table where it's, it's going to be an, an exchange even between them. You're going to understand how their relationships between them work. This is also an interesting insight. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I, I always start by having one-on-one -on -one interviews with these people with the questions that, in just like you said, need to be asked in terms of what do you know about the user? Who is our user? What is the problem? Why are we solving this problem? What are we expecting? What are What is success for us? And what's our vision? And so on. And so even uh, this is another continuing on your uh, mm -hmm. stakeholders workshop, which uh, yeah. is a great thing to do. I would also uh, advise people to have one-on-one -on -one conversations because maybe sometimes, I don't know, there are some uh, uh, dynamics between them that... In, in, a, in a group exercise can prevent them from being completely open or, or I don't know, avoid saying some things yeah. or complaining and so on. And so if one-on-one -on -one interviews with stakeholders, it's also, it's also a valuable stage in the yeah. process and that I, I actually never skipped in any process mm -hmm. in, yes, in, in my entire work every single time I had this uh, happen. I would totally say this is almost the same. So it's, it's really the same part, right? Understanding what business knows and you know, putting everybody's on the same page. I think like the stakeholder part, I would use when you have like different 
people um, in the business and you just need to, you know, put everybody's on the same page. If there are different parties, silos, departments, and they all have very different understanding of things, then it's important to do this workshop. But if it's a small, you know, project, uh, one, two clients, whatever, a small team, right? In this case, interview would be enough for you to start with. It's less time, less stress, less organization, preparation, etc. but you still have all the same questions asked and see if there is answers to them. So I think it's, a, it's the same section of, you know, project or um, part of the project that you definitely need to go through. Um, also, I would say like small recommendation here is to always in those meetings or workshops to ask uh, from the client um, about, first of all, you know, how are we going to measure this success of the project? So if we don't put this in the first meeting upfront, if we don't agree on something like what is this perfect project looks to you, to me, to all of us, then at the end, it's like everybody would change their expectation. If you don't have it documented, then, you know, there would be always, there is a ch higher chance that they would come up with the new idea, new feature. And, you know, they would say like, oh, we have like, we, we just, you know, get this new interview insight, whatever, let's try to do something different. And then it, you're just shifting your attention and then you can you spend much more time on this project. So you would always be able to refer back to those goals and you know measurable metrics that you want to check at the end. And if you want to change something, if somebody comes in tomorrow and say, hey, we want this new feature, you say like, yes, all right, but this is a different project, right? It's a different goal. It's a different part. It's a different idea. We can put it on, on shelf. We can discover it later. Let's first finish this one if we still think it is important for us also. Um, and another small tip here is to always in those, if you do the workshop or like an interview with a couple of stakeholders, is to try to understand who is the main decision maker here. Um, that's how the workshops are usually helpful because you really have like a main decision maker there because every time you will further present the next stage or the next thing you did. It's important to present it to the right people, not just to people who have an opinion, but also to the people who will be signing off on this. And uh, it's important to get everybody, but it's also important to, you know, present 25 times different people. And then when you present to the main stakeholder, you're already like, oh, you're like that and you don't want to present it. And you're missing out on important insights because you think that everybody knows about it, but not. <laughs> so I think it's also important to avoid risks if you start understanding who is this, you know, start, start by understanding who is the main decision taker, uh, maker, whatever, in the project. This is uh, the bullet points moment. Um, I love the um, I love the points of um, how to. So I I liked the fact that we uh, touched on uh, the differences between um, working as a freelancer and how that impacts your process, and then working uh, in a big company and how that process is completely different. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that um, you made a great job at expressing how how to kickstart processes in, in, um, in, in some examples you gave and um, kickstarting the process and thinking out the process from the beginning mm -hmm. and agreeing it just like in your final, uh, in your most recent point, agreeing it from the very beginning so that you don't have a scope creep or uh, the project changes along the way and mm -hmm. then it's a completely different animal that you know, don't, don't know how to handle it. Mm -hmm. And so setting up boundaries and clarity from the beginning towards the process is also very important. 
but getting back to uh, our earlier points, you also need to be adaptable. So there's a balance that you'll be able to uh, reach with experience um, in, um, in as time passes and from one project to another. But in the end, uh, the main idea, the gist of it is that uh, there are some essential parts to any UX process, to any project uh, that shouldn't be skipped. And um, then you go around uh, adapting them to the cost you're in. So this is, yes. I think, the main takeaway, if you want. Cool. I love it. Um, let me see if I would add something there. Um, I would say, yes, it's, so as you said, like being adjustable, um, maybe like as a tip, as a, if you're the beginner, try to absolutely try different things, different projects, so that tomorrow you have a better understanding on what processes might look like and how do you, you know, every time you have a new challenge, you don't feel scared on planning and you don't, you know, think about everything in a linear way. You understand that it's always about, you know, making another critical turn and sometimes adjusting. So, but it's still important to try absolutely different things. So next time you feel more confident about it, even though most of the times when we plan something, it's just still different and it ended up being absolutely different process. It could take a turn, whatever. You never know what ha what's going to happen. Um, you never know what kind of insight you get from your users. Maybe tomorrow you validate an idea and you see that it's, it's pointless and so on. So you never really know, but you need to have a plan, a structure in mind and you can follow different structures, design thinking structure with five stages, double diamond with converge, diverge uh, mindset. Like you can have different, whatever structure fits your mindset better, just pick one and try and always to keep it in mind in whatever problem you're solving, how big, the, really doesn't matter what you, how big is the problem. Is it one week problem or is it, I don't know, one year project, right? Still always try to think and think within your constraints and limits. So even if you have one week to solve this problem, think how much of a time you can spend um, doing all those four or five stages, even if you have so little time. Maybe you can even do it in one day. You know, there is this design um, service design service jams, right? Like a hackathon and weekend where you actually do the whole design project with all four stages in just, you know, two days. So it's really, really possible to do it really quick with limited resources, um, you can totally do enough research, even if it's a very short timeline, but it's important to follow all those steps and to not miss out, you know, on important critical stages, like understanding, you know, defining, um, then developing ideas and then testing those ideas and delivering those ideas. Um, as a final bullet point for today, as we already discussed today, it's important to set the right expectations for your stakeholders. Even if we know that the process is, you know, never perfect, it's never gonna maybe even work out in the way you plan it in the beginning, you still have to have this expectation set and be on the same page with your team, with your stakeholders, and really, you know, be aligned on your goals and on, on, on the success of this possible, of this project. Um, that would be also my bottom line. So, yeah. Anything else we want to talk through today? Well, I think we've accomplished enough for today, for now. Uh, I'm hoping that our audiences got a lot of value from this conversation. I feel like I did, and I yeah. crystallized some ideas I had. I, I, I touched, I, I was exposed to new points or new perspectives that you shared. I know it was a great conversation. And um, 
I'm hoping everyone feels that. And looking forward for our next episode. <laughs> yes, me too. Me too. Uh, let's try to define what's our next episode going to be like. Um, hopefully, yes, we will see. We will see. But yes, thank you so much, everybody, for listening to this episode. We hope you have a great day, a week, a month, a life. <laughs> and we'll see you on the next one. <laughs> ciao, ciao. A great bye design bye. project, everyone. Yes. <laughs> bye. Yay, bye, bye.